Well, again, it's so good to be here, so good to have the opportunity. I appreciate being asked. Um, we always enjoy coming up. We, we enjoy coming up here for, for your singings and gospel meetings, and, and I anticipate you'll have a, uh, have a good week this week. And I do appreciate the way that this congregation has supported our efforts in Lawrenceburg in a lot of different ways, uh, not only uh, with, with support uh, from a financial point of view, but also with, with several here who have come to, to uh, preach in my absence. Uh, Wade has been several times, uh, uh, about three weeks ago, Jeffrey and, and uh, Joel came, and I appreciate that uh, so much. And uh, somebody might ask me about how they do. I don't know. I'm never there. Uh, but I hear good things. I hear good things, and I appreciate them being willing to come, and others uh, who who help uh, in, in uh, different ways. But we covet your prayers. Appreciate, again, your involvement in our work there. The work is, um, it, it can be a challenge, as any work can be, and our numbers are not, you know, we think, oh, we just love to have a building full. But we've had some growth recently, and we are thankful for that, and some encouraging signs, and we're thankful for that. And You know, we we just try to preach the Word, to be interested in season and out of season, as you do here. And I appreciate all that you are doing. Um, Greg's doing such a wonderful job here, but not just him, but all who participate in the efforts that are going on, um, whether it's locally, it's online, it's just all manner of ways that you get the Word out. And that's so important. I want us to think together about something that I have never, uh, prior to, to developing this sermon, I never preached about this. And I don't remember hearing a sermon about that. And, you know, sometimes preachers, that kind of gets us excited to think about something we haven't maybe studied uh, before or maybe hasn't been uh, one that's been Studied in other places as much, I'm sure somebody has, but it's a, it's the first for me. And that's the idea of wearing a crown. That's something that's kind of foreign to us. We don't have a, a, a government that lends itself to that, though we think some kind of think they might be, but, but uh, we don't have those that wear, literally wear, wear a crown. So what I want to do is we're going to do, first of all, kind of a word study. And then trying to make application of that uh, toward the end of the lesson. So I hope it will be something that will be helpful, be encouraging. And, uh, and really the bottom line is to think about, well, what crown might you wear, might I wear? And the Bible talks about that. And we, we want to see what God has to say uh, about that. And so as we, we think about the word crown, this is from the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia. It just says that the word crown in the Old Testament is a translation of five different Hebrew words, and in the New Testament, two uh, Greek words. Uh, these express the several meanings and must be examined to ascertain the same. So when the Bible says crown, it doesn't mean the same thing every time. There's a little nuances to that that really fit the context, uh, usually, of the way the verse is used. And so as we look at that, and, and um, one, thing, one good thing about having this on the screen is when I mispronounce the word, you can say it correctly. <laughs> Uh, but I don't know what's how, how to pronounce some of these words, but this first one is a good example of that. But what it means is, it literally means the crown of the head. Sometimes it might be rendered top of the head, the scalp, 
And it really just, I mean, it's just that, that literal. It means that, that back part uh, of, of the head there, the crown. And the way it would be used in Scripture would be in keeping with that. Like when Moses was giving the various blessings to each of the twelve tribes before his death, he said, And of Gad, he said, Blessed is he who enlarges Gad. He dwells as a lion and tears the arm and the crown of his head. Talking about the scalp. That's kind of a literal uh, rendering of that word. And then the word zir. It means a chaplet. Something spread ar- uh, around the top as a molding. Um, and, and because of its wreath-like appearance, it's called a crown. So here's something that often might be something decorative. Speaking of which, Exodus chapter 25, verse 11. And thou shalt overlay it with pure gold within and without, shalt thou overlay it, and shalt make upon it a crown of gold round about. Now your version, instead of saying crown of a crown of gold, and this is why I put the King James up there, uh, is your version may say a molding of gold. And, and so the idea then of this was what is kind of trying, trying to be pictured here, the Ark of the Covenant, that, that molding around it was like a crown. It means a chaplet, something around the top. Kind of gives it that nice finished look. We might call it crown molding. Uh, that, that just makes it look uh, a little bit better. And, but notice too, because of its wreath-like appearance, it was called a crown. Now the wreath-like appearance is important in some of the, uh, some of the other words. Here's another word, nezer. Here the word, the previous word zir is coupled with another part of a word, nezer. It means something set apart. So now we're, we're getting to something a little more specific like dedication to the priesthood or the dedication of a Nazarite. <clears throat> Hence, a chaplet has a symbol of such consecration. And so the way it would be used in Scripture would be like in Exodus 29 and verse 6, you shall put the turban on his head and put the holy turban, holy crown on the turban. And so you could imagine, a lot of people wore turbans, but when you saw a crown, around that turban. Now that meant something. That set that apart. In this case, it was something uh, that was dedicated, something holy to the Lord. And so that, when they would see then the priest wearing that, that meant something to them. That, that set that person apart in some way. And in this case, being a priest, serving in that role, he was to be holy, set apart to the Lord. Uh, and so that, that Nezer or Nizir, whichever way you say that, it, it has that idea of, of sanctification, of being set apart uh, to something that, that was uh, holy. But then the word also is used um, because of its root of the word to hold aloof to hold aloof from impurity, even from drinking food, more definitely to set apart for sacred purposes. So the the root of that word is nazar. And so you put these ideas together, again, it fits that idea of the priest. Now he is to be holy, and he's, especially if he has the anointing oil, and he's got that, that crown around the turban that just sets him apart. And this is somebody that's to be thought of in that way that this is a person who has set themselves apart in the Lord's service. And then there's a word that's just kind of the word we might generally think of, 
a crown in the usual sense, a tare. And, and that word is, um, means to encircle. It comes from atar, meaning to encircle. Sometimes they might use the same word in war, to encircle the enemy, to, um, as in war, uh, for offense or defense, also actually and figuratively to crown. So you're going to encircle the head like you might encircle the enemy. But in this case, if it's talking about something you're putting on your head and it encircles the head, then it's that word, atare. And it's just means that, literally just means to encompass the head. And so a crown, of course, does that. But the way that it would be used would be to represent, though. A crown represented something. That's something special about the person wearing the crown. And in this case, we find kings often would be the ones to wear a crown. Like in Second Samuel chapter 12. Here is, is an interesting, kind of an interesting part of a sad story really. But if you look at Second Samuel, I wanted to, just to notice this about, about this story about King David. And, and how that, um, He's, he's sort of being told, you, you need to leave Jerusalem and come on out here because we're about to conquer this, this city. And in 2 Samuel, if you go back to chapter 11, it happened in the spring of the year, in the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. Notice David remained at Jerusalem. Well, this is the time that he sees Bathsheba, bathing on the roof and has that uh, affair with her and all the story that unfolds about that. But they're still in in battle. And so when we get to chapter 12, down in verse uh, 26, now Joab says, I've taken the water supply. And once they had the water supply, the city would not be far from falling. And David, you better come out here or I'm going to take the city and it'll be named after me. And so the thing that signified now that David came, he brought his army and he he finished conquering the city that Joab had been working on for a period of time. And so what they will do then is described in chapter 12, verse 30. Then he took their king's crown from his head. Its weight was a talent of gold with precious stones. And it was set on David's head. Also, he brought out the spoil of the city in great abundance. So you kind of see what, what they're doing. The symbol of authority here, of rule and power, was the crown. And I'm taking the, that king's crown away from him, putting it on my head, signifying I am now the ruler of this area. And so they all knew, of course, what, what that meant. <clears throat> and there's another word, kether. Kether means a circlet or a diadem. Diadem was more of a New Testament sounding word, but it means a circlet. And the way that um, we'll see it translated and used, sometimes it could even um, mean to enclose, similar to the other word we looked at. But if it's talking in the context about a friend, it might mean to crown. If it's talking about an enemy, it might, might mean to besiege. I would encircle my enemy. And sometimes it's translated beset, beset round, enclosed round, suffer, compass about. So that's the, that's the idea of what these words mean. We see that in Esther, the story of Esther. Uh, in chapter 1, 
Remember when the king, he says, I I want my queen Vashti to come and appear before me and my drunken companions here, I'm thinking. Uh, And remember, she she refused. But the, the issue was to bring Queen Vashti before the king wearing her royal crown in order to show her beauty to the people and the officials, for she was beautiful to behold. So here's this very beautiful woman, and I'm sure there were many beautiful women. But when you come in wearing the crown, that sets you apart. This is somebody that is to be looked up to, somebody that you know has something of significance to them. Of course, you know the story that she, she refused to go for whatever that reason might have been. And so she is cast aside, you might say, as being the queen. And eventually, Esther is chosen. And so in Esther chapter 2, in verse 17, the, the king loved Esther more than all the other women. And she obtained grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins. So he set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. And so it's similar to the idea when David took the the, uh, crown of the defeated king, put it on his head, it signified he now had what that person had. When Queen Vashti's crown was placed on Queen Esther's head, it symbolized she was now having what the previous queen had enjoyed. And so it was quite, quite an honor to receive that. And, and so they would all know that when, when she would have walked in, if Vashti had have done what Hazarus wanted her to do, then they, she would have immediately been recognized for her position because she had the crown that was on her head. Then we come to the New Testament. And in the New Testament, there are two uh, Greek words that are used that are translated different ways, but typically as crown. And, and the first one we'll look at is Stephanus. Stephanus. And it means a chaplet or wreath made of leaves. Now, this is probably the more common type that's uh, mentioned in Scripture. Uh, It's made of leaves or a leaf-like gold. So even if it's made out of gold, it looks like it's made out of leaves. And it was used for things like marriages or festive occasions, but also for recognition of winning a race maybe in a game or even at war. And so the, the wreath-like crown, the Stephanos, is going to be different than what we'll see next. And it, and it signifies something different. It signifies an accomplishment, an achievement, a victory, uh, that, that sort of, uh, of an idea. Sadly, it's used about Jesus. When in John uh, chapter 19, verse 2, and the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns, they twisted a Stephanus of thorns and put it on his head and they put on him a purple robe. Now here they're mixing some symbols. They didn't have a literal crown like a king might wear, but they were able to make a wreath-like crown from what they would have had on hand and so that generally would have signified some kind of a victory some kind of an accomplishment and yet they made it out of thorns and you know how they put it on his head and they beat his head with a stick and you can imagine driving those thorns but that was the idea of the type of crown that they even used on on jesus and then there's a word diadema now diadema is also our word for diadem, and it means 
from two words, da means about, and deal, bound, so bound about. Something bound about the head. But each time this word is used, it is used as a symbol of power, the power to rule. That's who would have that on their head, that diadem would have that kind of meaning. And so we, we find it used in places like Revelation chapter 12. In verse 3, And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his head. His heads. Now your version may say, instead of crowns, seven diadems. And that would be the more literal rendering of that word. And so in, in that way, it's signifying that this means rule. This means authority. The power to rule. It's not the other word. That's a good word. But that's for a race being won, some accomplishment, like maybe a marriage. But here, no, this is someone who has the power, the authority to rule. Another passage, um, Revelation 19, verse 12, His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but himself. Uh, and, and so this, this imagery of, in Revelation often contains the idea of a crown or many crowns showing a lot of power, a lot of authority and rule. And so what we've seen then very briefly in these, that there are at least five uses of crowns in the Bible. And so we have seen, we've seen it for decoration, for consecration, for coronation, for exaltation, and as a reward. Now, I want to try to make some application to that. Now, I, I like doing word studies, and I learned a lot just from the word study. But what I want to do now is, again, to, to try to point out some things the Scriptures point out. And so I'm going to start with the wives. Okay, wives, are you a crown for your husband? The Bible talks about that, of you being a crown for your husband. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband. But she who causes shame is like rottenness in his bones. And so wives, don't tarnish your husband's crown by being unfaithful or unloving or uncaring or bitter or whatever negative words you can think of. No, that's, that's not the idea the Bible pictures of that relationship. The relationship is why when your husband comes in and you're on his arm, oh, he is, he, he's kind of glowing about that because you are his crown. Um, and then you think about husbands. If you have something extremely valuable, what do you do? Don't, don't, don't you protect it? You take care of it? You make sure it's... it's, it's uh, well, you know, well placed, wherever that might be, that, that you keep it safe. And you think if you have a crown, wouldn't you take care of it? I mean, would you, would you just throw it over in the corner somewhere? So no, you wouldn't do it that way. Would you, would you belittle it? Don't think so. That's your crown. Something valuable. Something to be, to be highly thought of. And so I think it speaks to the relationship that ought to be there uh, between a husband and a wife. You know, we husbands love to, to walk in and just glow because this is my wife. I'm always glad when Jennifer can come 
with me. And, uh, you know, makes people wonder, how did he talk her into marrying him? I, I don't know. <laughs> but makes me feel good. Um, you ought to be that crown to your husband. And husbands, treat your wife like a crown, like that, that which brings honor and, and uh, that recognition even to you and to your relationship. I think it's a great, a great way of looking at it. What about those with the gray hair? The Bible says something about that too. It says, you know, that really you ought to wear your gray hair with pride like a crown. Because that's how the Bible describes it. That when you see someone come in that has been blessed to live long enough to obtain that gray hair, it would say the silver-haired head is a crown of glory if it is found in the way of righteousness. I dare say that back in the day when elders were truly looked up to, I don't think Grecian formula would have gone well. I, I think they want that gray hair, you know, because it was a, it was a, a sign of, of having lived a full life in a way that could benefit others. Notice what he says. It's a crown of glory if it is found in the way of righteousness. Because what if it's not found in the way of righteousness? It just would not be what you would expect. Here, here is an older person, male or female, that has lived a life and, and they're just acting like a child. You think, oh, that doesn't fit. Or they're doing some really foolish things. Or they ought to know better than that. Because their gray hair would indicate they've experienced life and learned things that, that would lead them in a better way and in turn lead others in a better way. And so that's the idea of that silver hair is a sign, should be a sign of respect, of respectability, of wisdom, of, of uh, you can benefit from their years of experience. It, it, wear it like a crown. Because that's the way the Bible describes it. If we're living the life of righteousness, that we should be. I like that description. Okay. I could spend the rest of my time here. How about those grandchildren? If you're on Facebook, you've seen other people's grandchildren. Lots of pictures of other people's grandchildren, I would imagine. And if you're on my friends list, you've seen pictures of our grandchildren. Uh, what's Greg telling me? Number 12 and number 13's on the way. I remember, I remember, uh, about four years ago, I think my, I have two grandchildren. Oldest is four. I went to an anniversary, uh, celebration in Montgomery, Alabama, and one of the, uh, one of the elders, his wife, were celebrating their 60th, I think, anniversary. So anyway, I hadn't thought about this, but a group, and I used to worship there at Perry Hill Road and have dear friends there. A group of them kind of took me aside and said, I, we want to explain to you the rules of the grandparents' club. And I didn't know there was such a thing as a grandparents' club. And I sure didn't know what the rules were. And so they just started explaining to me as a grandparent, as a member now of this very exclusive club, that here are some of the rules. It's okay that your grandchild, according to you, is the cutest. 
Your grandchild is the most handsome. Your grandchild is the prettiest. Your grandchild walked before anybody else did. Your grandchild talked before anybody else did. Your grandchild does everything better than any other grandchild. That all that is allowable in the grandparents' club because all of our grandchildren are the same way. And so I was glad to know that. But you know, the Bible says something about grandchildren. Children's children are the crown of old men. I remember when my father-in-law would <clears throat> would take uh, my youngest child. He was about four years old at the time. And uh, he had married my mother-in-law late in life. And they didn't have any, any he didn't have any children with his first, in his first marriage. And so it was just a, a pleasure to him to have a grandchild. And he would take my youngest to, to his barber shop that he'd been going to for years and set him up in the barber's chair and he'd just glow with pride. This is my grandson. Um, children's children are the crown of old men. They're, they're, they're just that that makes, you know, makes, uh, gives that, that status, you might say. That's my granddaughter. That's my grandson. And, and they like to brag on them. We like to brag on our grandchildren. And we, we love all the little videos. I saw somebody post 25 pictures. And, and at least 15 of them were slightly different wrinkles of the nose or something. I don't know what it was. But all that, that grandchild, you know, had to, had to get all those pictures out there. Well, children's children are the glory of old men, and the glory of children is their father. You've got all three generations represented here. But I like to kind of single in on the, on, the, uh, on the grandchildren here because they're the crown of old men. We love to take and show off our, our grandchildren. Well, let me ask this. Are you someone else's crown? Chances are that you are. That you're somebody's crown. And, and here's the way the Bible would, would use that idea. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. I love you and long to see you, dear friends. For you are my joy and the crown I receive for my work. Paul was very interested in all the people that he taught. Well, of course he was. But he was interested not just for their sake, and sure, he wanted their soul, you know, to be saved, but he's also interested for his own sake, that when he would one day stand before the Lord, he would have something to show for his work. And so when those that he taught the truth remained faithful, he could kind of like, oh, you see these, Lord? (laughs) You know, uh, that's like his crown there. For you are my joy and the crown I receive for my work. Or First Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 19. After all, what gives us hope and joy? And what will be our proud reward and crown as we stand before our Lord Jesus when he returns? It is you. I love that statement. And so if you've helped anybody to become a Christian, might might be your own children, might be your spouse, might be somebody at work, whoever it might be, whatever role you may have played in that. Why, that, that, is, that is something um, that is recognized like a crowning achievement. Our crown as we stand before the Lord. So who would that be? It's you. It's you. What a great joy that gave Paul to anticipate 
that when he would stand before the Lord, Lord, I have worked so hard and I have tried and, and, and look at these that I have helped to bring to you. And so remaining faithful assures the one who taught you additional rejoicing. Uh, is yet another reason to remain faithful. Of course, the main reason is for our own souls. Remain faithful. But the Bible uses this idea in, in these ways. Like Philippians chapter 2 and verse 16. Holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. The same idea. doesn't use the word crown here, but you can see what he's getting at. Holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Paul wanted to show fruit for his work. It was important to him. And it ought to be important to us. And when we do show that fruit, it's like a crown. It's like, it's like that, that recognition of quite an accomplishment. But I tell you, whatever you feel is truly valuable... Whatever you feel that possessing it means something great, say that's your crown. That's your crown. And sometimes we we kind of have misplaced crowns, you might say. We maybe have have our values a little too much in the wrong place. For instance, some people their crown may be their home. I know people who that's just their pride and joy. That's their crown. Or it could be your position. You know, it could be that what you feel makes you kind of be in an elevated position of some sort, as I'm the, the name, whatever, the president, the vice president, the manager, the supervisor, the whatever it might be for your position. could be the social circles. I'm a member of such and such a country club or, or whatever that might be. Political office. They might, you know, sometimes politicians, they love to climb the ladder because that to them is a greater crown, you might say. Popularity may be something else that people extremely value. Your appearance. Uh, some people spend a lot of money on their appearance for various operations and surgeries and, and, and all of that. And, and their appearance gets to be that which is their crown. This passage was read this morning and I, I appreciate that. The Bible talks about that there are, there's a crown that's worth, worth the race. It's worth the effort. It's worth the attention and the time. First Corinthians 9, verse 25, all those who compete in the games use self-control so that they can win a crown. That crown is an earthly thing that lasts only a short time. But our crown will never be destroyed. And so Paul says there is a crown worth striving for. Now, not like in those games when they would have the races, sort of, sort of like our Olympics. You know, at least in our Olympics, you know, they get a medal, and that medal will last from now on, I guess. Can you imagine that your prize is is a literal uh, uh, little wreath of leaves, and you know they're not going to last long. They look good for a little while, and you'll have the recognition of you, you know of having it, but soon it'll just crumble away. And Paul says, no, our crown will never be destroyed. That, that's the one that we are striving for. As in all things, Jesus is our ultimate example, our perfect example. And you know, he was exalted after his resurrection and his ascension into heaven. The Bible talks about that. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9. But we see Jesus 
who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Well, when Jesus went through all that he did, he died, he was buried, and he was raised. That proved to everyone who he was. In fact, Paul would use that argument with those on Mars Hill, that God has furnished proof by raising Jesus from the dead. And so Jesus then was crowned with glory and honor for all that he by obeying his father, had accomplished. And so again in Revelation, it's very fitting that his eyes were like a flame of fire, and on, uh, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. Again, that, now that word for crown is diadem, representing power, the, the power to rule. Well, then I think a good question then, the Bible talks a lot about crowns. Will you receive a crown? Now, there are things that already we talked about that can represent a crown. Our grandchildren, our spouse, uh, various things. But will you receive a crown? In 2 Timothy 4, verse 8, Paul said, Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. And that word crown is Stephanos. It's the word that was used when you have finished the race in first place. Maybe when you got married. Maybe when you accomplished something noteworthy. And, and some sign of honor and, and recognition was to be given you. This, that's that one. It doesn't have anything to do with ruling or with power. But again, with recognition and accomplishment. And so there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. Well, who will get that? It will be the ones who have loved the Lord's appearing. So what an accomplishment that would be. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. What a great uh, recognition. What a great ceremony that would be. I don't know how, you know, I'm just picturing a human term strictly to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant, and that crown be placed on your head. I don't say that's literally going to happen, but, but that's the imagery that we're given, that when you have been approved, you'll receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. And when the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. Oh, it's not a literal crown, but when you receive that never-ending glory and honor, what a crown that is. But you know, that's not to say it's easy. Paul talked about that in the passage that was read for us, that you compete to win. It's not easy to win, but you compete, you train, you struggle, you, 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 you compete uh, uh, in, a, in a way to win. might not be easy, but it's going to be glorious. Revelation 2, verse 10, Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is um, about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested. And you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death. And I will give you 
the crown of life. What, what an honor that would be. What a recognition that would be. Again, that word crown there is Stephanos for the idea of, of achievement, of accomplishment, something well done. And then the Bible talks about this idea that <clears throat> I'm going to tell you probably about all I know about it right here in about two minutes. And that is the idea that once you've been crowned, you will reign. You will reign. So he says, if we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. A sense of reigning. I'm not sure. I know I don't understand all that that entails. But what a great thing it will be to reign with Jesus. In whatever sense, he means that. And so as we bring our thoughts to a close, what, what crown will you wear? Would it be a perishable crown? Or will it one be one that will never be taken away? One that will never tarnish or, or, or become unusable like that crown of leaves? Will it be a crown of life, of righteousness, of glory? And so don't trade your crown. Don't trade what I picture as that gold crown for an old rusty one. Something that's Good for only a little while. Because one day we'll leave all that behind. Whatever it is we think is that which we just have to have. And sometime the Lord gets put in second. It won't be worth it. That's not the crown that we need. Let's wear the right crown. One that only the Lord can give. We'll sing the song now that's been selected. There could be some here now, then maybe you haven't uh, obeyed the gospel. If you're here and you know you, if you died right now, you would be lost. I tell you, you, you will not hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You will not receive the crown of life. What you will hear would be, depart from me. I never knew you. But it doesn't have to be that way. The fact that you're here right now means it doesn't have to end that way. And we want you to have that good ending when you're crowned, as we've been talking about. That is so easy, easy to do. Meaning that if you already believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, won't you change your life to conform to what He would have you to do? Then come forward stating your your faith in who Jesus is. And this very hour, you'll be baptized into Christ. All sins washed away. And then you can have the right to have that crown of life one day. might be that you've traded in that good crown for one that's just temporary and means nothing. Maybe your life has gotten away from the Lord. Why not bring it back? Back in line with Him. Come forward and ask, ask the brethren here to pray with you and for you. Whatever your need might be, let it be known while together we stand and sing.